Thanks so much for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Today, Pastor Matt finishes out our series in 1 Corinthians with his second message from 1 Corinthians 16. Let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And this, this, will, this will be the last message. We will circle the wagons today. And I'm excited about it. If you're, if you're new, we have a thing called the program that you can get from the church website where all of the notes are there with the scriptures and you can follow along. And it's a pretty, pretty easy way to do so. That's a nice cup there, Kaylee. Where's Kaylee at? She's in the back. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. I'm like, that's not mine. Yeah, it's definitely pink. Got pink on it. Oh, man. How many have had a good week? Anybody? Yeah? How many have had a eh week? been eh okay all right mm. how many have something a burden on their heart and and you and the lord know anybody few okay well make sure when we get to the end of the service you just kind of lay that down for him uh this week let's all be in prayer mel's um mel's test is on thursday um so how many will commit to praying for mel on thursday that that comes back clear amen let's do that together look we have to be there for one another um, we, if the church can't do it and do it well, who can do it? Um, but I think, I think that um, us praying, it, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman availeth much. So I know the Lord's going to do something there. But it's, it's difficult, you know, when one close and one that is in our tight-knit family is hurting and struggling. Um, but we, we have to weep with those who weep and um, be in prayer for her. Mr. Lou, how are you feeling? Doing all right? He had a fight with the chainsaw and won, and won. I mean, my goodness. How many stitches? How many stitches? Come on now. How many? 87? 88 stitches. And y'all thought you had a bad week, just saying. <laughs> my man was in church last week, and it was fresh. I was like, whoa. Listen, if you want to do yourself a favor and enjoy your lunch even better, ask him to see the photos before you leave today. It'll, it'll change your life. And he has them on his phone. Yeah, it's, it's quite, the, quite the picture. I mean, man, this, you're like a cat. You know it. I mean, <laughs> you've got nine of them. For, yeah, the Lord definitely has a plan. Eighty-some stitches. Just when you think you had a rough week, you tell yourself, how many stitches did I get this week? Okay, we're doing all right. We are doing all right. Amen. One more sip of water, and we're going to jump in. What time we got? Man, we're early. All right, let's go. Last week we talked about the idea here that Paul is circling the wagons. It's a statement I use often that, you know, when it's time to go, when you're done at the restaurant, when you've outworn your welcome at that friend's house, you know, circle the wagons. Let's go. It's, it's time to roll out. And Paul is circling the wagons here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I love the detail. I love the things that he leaves behind for us as he uh, ties up this letter and sends it on its way. And I think that there, there's so much for us to learn. Uh, last week, we talked about the beginning part of it, which is really verses one through four about this collection. And uh, really, it's, I think many, many of us don't know about it. I know that it wasn't taught. It wasn't at the forefront of my mind until I read a biography on Paul. But a big part of his missionary journeys were traveling around and collecting money 
uh, from the Gentile faith communities to give to the Jewish community there in Jerusalem. So uh, we see details, intimate details about that here in, in the first four verses talking about this collection. And so the beginning of the program there that's still online from last week is how Paul dealt with that offering. So uh, the book of Romans has a parallel passage, some observations about that offering. That's what we talked about last week. Uh, But I wanna continue, so I won't belabor the point, listen to the conversation and the message from last week. It's all on Facebook and YouTube uh, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, But this week I wanna jump right in. What he's gonna talk about here is his travel plans and he's gonna deal with some items about church leadership. How many have ever had a struggle with church leadership? Anyone? A few? It's tough, isn't it? Church problems can be tough. You know, how many of you, this is the first church you've ever attended? Yes! (laughs) That's awesome. And there's probably a few more, but the point is, most of us have attended a church before. Most of us have been around the proverbial what? Block. And, and what does that mean? It means that we have church hurt. It means that there's been issues, there's been problems. Why? Because we're fallen, we're broken, we have issues, people have issues. Has the Lord come back yet? Has he done away with sin yet? How many were sinless this week? God bless you, who are, I knew I was, no. We weren't sinless this week. Look, we dealt with the same stuff that we deal with every week. You're gonna wake up tomorrow with the same stuff that you woke up with this morning, and you know what I mean by, when I say stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an uh-huh? <laughs> okay, there we go. Just a little uh, just a grunt. Let me know you're alive. I know everybody's struggling. It's, I'm just resistant to this pumpkin spice thing. You know what I mean? Like all these like basic you know what girls, it's just they're like, hmm, fallelujah, and then whatever else you say. Gotcha. I swear, I saw a lady at the Giant yesterday. She had four scarfs on. I'm not playing. Four of them stacked up. <laughs> And she just was holding a Starbucks cup. I don't even know. I don't even think there was anything in the Starbucks cup. She was just holding it, wearing four scarves. I'm like, do you know it's 80 degrees? Oh, no, it's not. It might be 80 on the outside, but it's 65 and cool on the inside right here. You guys are crazy about fall. I just want more summer. How many want more summer? Anybody? I just love the summer. I'm crying. Yesterday, I was like, I'm going to just try to get one more day. One more day. I went fishing, didn't catch a doggone thing. You know what I mean? Somebody was a little late getting out of the house yesterday morning. I haven't had a new lure, Mr. Dan. I was like, this is going to be good. Not a doggone thing. That's all right. But yeah, I'm just not, I'm not ready for this, this fall thing. I know it's nice, the campfires and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I want more summer. But anyway, it, it is what it is. We're in that in-between stage where the weather's changing. How many have allergies? Anybody? Yeah, okay, maybe not. I do. <laughs> I'm like, double, everybody's doubling up on their Zyrtec. I was talking to one person in here. I think she said she took four allergy medicines in one day, wasn't it four? Uh, look, it's, it's rough for those, that have, for, for those that have allergies, but in this transition, the Lord still has a plan. Anyway, so anyway, wherever I was going with that, I have no clue, uh, but we're going to talk about church leadership a little bit, and then we're going to land what I think is beautiful is... Remember some of the drama that was unfolding in chapter one of Corinthians? Remember how some of them were saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Do you remember that? For those, some of you that have been through this whole study, the church of Corinth, they wanted gifts. They wanted things that were out in front of everybody. 
They, they wanted the gifts that everybody saw. They, they wanted the, the pastoral relationship to be on the open. There, there were those that were taking the Lord's Supper with their really expensive food while others were sitting over in the corner uh, hungry, didn't have the food, if you will, to take the Lord's Supper. These are some of the issues that, that they were dealing with during this time. So as Paul kind of like closes this letter out, I'm seeing him kind of pay homage and go back to and tie up and complete those circuits uh, strategically like only the Apostle Paul could. So after the collection, we're going to talk about Paul's travel plans here. Go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 5, and then we'll read to verse number 12. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord, what's the next word? Allows. allows. If the Lord what? Allows. allows. Say it with me. If the Lord what? Allows. allows. Got to wake you all up. Do we need to take a coffee break real quick? Anybody need to go back out? Okay. If the Lord allows. Verse number eight. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a wider door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. Now, here's where he's going to talk about some of the church leaders. If Timothy comes, remember Timothy is like his son in the faith. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of interesting. See that he has nothing to fear while with you. Because he is doing the whose work? The Lord's work. That was better. Good job, y'all. Just as I am. You see what he did there? He connected Timothy's work with his work, didn't he? Verse 11. So let no one look down on him. Does anybody remember, maybe in Timothy, one of those books where he says, let no man despise thy youth. He's talking about Timothy, right? But be thou an example unto the believers. Interesting. Does anyone see a correlation there? I think so. Uh, he's doing the Lord's work, just as I am. Verse 11, so let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me because I am expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. Remember, they were name-dropping Apollos in the beginning. Remember? He says, now, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers. But he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. All right, so what is happening here? What is, what is Paul doing? What's he talking about? What are some things that I see? Here's some observations regarding church leadership that I see. Number one, Paul was not a lone wolf. Paul was not a lone wolf. He was working with others that he is discipling and training. How many see that in the text that we just read? He's working with Timothy. He's working and having conversation with Apollos. Uh, if anybody could be a lone wolf in Scripture, don't you think it could have been Paul? If anybody maybe had the quote-unquote right or the ability or the ministry to be by himself, I mean, think about his testimony. Think about what he's gone through. If anybody would, would say, this is my ministry, this is what I'm doing, and the Lord's going to use me, it could have been Paul. But in, in this text, as he's tying up this letter and circling the wagons, he makes a point to talk about those that he's discipling, those that he's working with, and how they are to receive them. Do you think there's anything for us to learn here about church leadership? 
about how ministry is supposed to work, think about maybe your past experiences with ministry. Think about your past experience with church leaders. Were any of them lone wolves? Were any of them like bearing the weight all by themselves? Look, if the apostle Paul wasn't carrying all the weight, then we shouldn't be carrying all the weight. If someone, you know, literally had a face-to-face with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and yet he still surrounded himself with other believers, with other co-laborers. Here's the other thing that I see. As it pertains to him being a lone wolf, he was discipling others. You see, it's twofold. If, if you're gonna work with others in ministry, and I think that there's always, how many work best by themselves? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. You're who I'm talking to this morning. No. But it, it, it's twofold, not just those that have that personality that just want to do it by themselves. We have to be resistant. Why? Because if we could catch it here, Steve, there's an undertone of unity through this entire book. Every step of the way, he's dismantling and and ripping through the ideologies that would say you're something, you are an individual, instead of there's a collective body that we're all working together. Do you see? And, And every time that we isolate, even, you know, when we're good at things, when, when we have giftings, when we have abilities, we get in those giftings and we get in those abilities and it's, it's in our nature, our sin nature, to say, <laughs> yeah, pretty good at that, you know what I'm saying? I'm just gonna use my gifts and talents and abilities. Paul's saying, look, you gotta resist that. The apostle Paul, he's talking about Timothy, he's talking about Apollos in his closing letter. Don't miss that. He was not a lone wolf. And on the other side of that, it means that he was discipling someone. You know, what what is it that y'all's fellowship, you keep it by what? By giving it away. The gospel's the same way. We are designed as the Lord gives us, the great commission, as the Lord gives us the gospel is for us to what? Share the gospel. And disciple. Who, who is working with you? Who are you working with? Who are you discipling? There's no room for, for loners. And there's no room for lone wolves in the church and in the gospel. We should foster this thing of community. We should foster this thing of discipleship. And I feel like we're trying at our church, but ultimately we have to yield to that as individuals to be a part of the collective whole. He was not a lone wolf. Here's the second thing I see here. Paul, and all this is just by way of introduction here. Paul was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Paul was sensitive. Think about his travel plans. This is something that I find funny. How many of you plan for vacations like a year ahead of time? I wanna see who you are. There's one, oh wow, that's a lot. You guys were like a little sheepish on that at first. Let's see that again. How many of you plan a year ahead of time for vacation? My wife would love for me to be that way. <laughs> We're like, hey, guess what? Let's go somewhere. You know what I mean? Some, some of you are planners. Some of you think about and, and position your next steps at work and next steps for the family, and all of that's great, right? And everybody's different. Everybody has a different personality. But I'm afraid in our culture, we plan the Holy Spirit right out of it. 
Let's go back to this text. As he's giving his travel itinerary, that's what this is. Look at it with me. He says here, uh, look at verse number seven. I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord what? If the Lord allows. Amen. There it is. Is there any space in your life for the Lord to allow anything? Is, is there any space for the Holy Spirit to be creative at all? Look at my schedule. I mean, is there any block of time? I mean, think about it from a perspective of like how our lives are. We go to school, we go to work, we, we got this program and that after school thing and that sports thing and she's gonna learn. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, how many languages are our children learning at work, babe? I mean, it's like Latin and Spanish. I don't even know. And is, is it necessary? <laughs> are some of these things, and I'm being a little facetious, but the point is, is we fill up our lives full of programs and itineraries and we don't give the Lord any space to allow anything. If, if the Apostle Paul, who was orchestrating the move of the gospel in the biggest way after Jesus Christ, you know that we're sitting here enjoying church because of the, the Apostle Paul and the way the Lord used him. Do you understand that? We're, we're here today. We, we have the gospel and these letters to read and, 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 and just partake in and live in and instruct ourselves through this because he said, if the Lord allows me, i got a travel itinerary. I'm going to come to you, I think. Maybe it might happen. But yet, you get angry when folks are wishy-washy. You get angry when folks create space. You get angry when there's not a 10-point outline of how this thing is going to work out. What I'm saying is, is we have to create space for each other. We have to allow some space for the Holy Spirit to move. It might not be concrete. The plan might not all be laid out to your liking, and this is difficult for you planners. This is difficult for y'all that write it all down and that have your, your, you know, your war room with your calendar. What I'm saying is, is allow the Lord some space. Be nimble, be flexible. If Paul was nimble and flexible with his itinerary, so should we. So should we. This was not a popular point. I'm gonna stay right here for a while. Let's talk about it. What do we have such a problem with? Well, maybe it's our priorities. Maybe it's our priorities. Maybe our priorities that we have are not the priorities that the Lord has for our lives. That requires a change. That requires a shift. That, that requires saying, look, I'm going to make my priorities his priorities, my purpose his purpose. Paul says, if the Lord wills. I read that and I was like, man, he was sensitive to the Holy Ghost. I think we do... I think we do well just creating space. How many of you would be willing to just say, look, Friday nights or Saturday nights, that's the Lord's time. Look, I'm gonna pick one evening a week. This is just an idea. I'm shooting from the hip here. Let's pick one evening where we eat dinner and we just wait to listen for the Lord. Where we read a scripture together, where we have some prayer time together and we wait and we see if the Lord is gonna speak to us, we create some space. I just think we're too busy. We're way too busy. Consider, consider the fact that maybe there's just not enough space in your life for anything to be allowed. 
Do you know what I mean? Are you scared? Do you not want there to be space because you don't want to hear those voices? Maybe you're keeping yourself busy. You ever thought about that? Maybe you're keeping yourself busy because you don't want to create space. Maybe it's pain that you haven't dealt with. I don't know what the reason is, but we would do well this morning to create some space for the Holy Spirit. Number three, Paul made it clear that the Lord's calling was upon Timothy and Apollo. And that was the reason they should be accepted regardless of their ethnicity or age. I think there's some undertones here with Timothy. Remember Timothy, he instructed him to be circumcised. Did anybody remember that? I think it was Timothy, he instructed him to be circumcised, and Titus, he said to not. Uh, Based on the fact that I think it was, and I, I didn't, this is just once again shooting from the hip, had this thought this morning, but Timothy, uh, his grandmother was Jewish, and I believe his father was a Gentile. Consider that. Consider coming into this church, there, there was unity issues, there were issues of them accepting other people groups, and so not only does he say, listen, Timothy should feel like, look at it, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you. Paul instructs them and says, listen, you need to make sure there's no barriers in your heart because you don't know who the Lord is going to use. Listen, you, you don't know who the Lord is going to use to give you that next word of encouragement. Maybe, maybe those that literally you've been waiting on an answer to prayer, you've been waiting on the Lord to work and move in your life for, for years, but your own constructs, your own defense mechanisms have prevented you to receive that thing from the Lord that the Lord would have given you a long time ago. Maybe it's gonna come from Timothy, but you don't wanna receive it because you think Timothy not only is the wrong color of skin, you think he's too young. That's a double whammy. Both were issues that Paul had to deal with in First and Second Timothy. Do we still deal with those today? I'm not listening to him. This is the church leadership. Do we still deal with these constructs today? Absolutely. Do we still deal with these preconceived notions where we're like, well, we're okay, we're good? Once again, not creating space. Once again, we're we're putting our walls up for the Lord to work. Think about all that Paul has dealt with, the gifts, the fruits of the Spirit. It's Listen, you living a Spirit-filled life is at stake here. You understanding the gospel, remember chapter one where he says, this church has emptied the cross of its power. We're playing church when we don't allow God to use people in our lives that he has called. Well, I just don't like so-and-so. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Look, it's funny. Churches and, and like church leadership, I've seen this go on over and over and over again, especially in denominations where it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I don't want to nitpick, but choosing a pastor, liking the youth pastor, not liking the youth pastor, drama in the church, we would do well to get back to this thing of calling. You know, men will always let you down. You know what I mean? A man will always, a woman will always let you down. Human beings will let other human beings down. We have to have margin for that, and that margin is the gospel. And Paul says it's not about how you perceive them, it's about the fact that they're doing the Lord's work. 
But I, I just don't, I don't see that for me. But if he sees it, it's okay. The gifts and callings of God are without what? They're without repentance. They're without change. Where does Paul leave the, the weight of the, the leadership of the church? How does he direct this church? He directs them by their calling. Does that apply to you? How many of you, you're like, man, I still haven't found my calling. I still don't know what, what God has for me. Keep looking, keep asking, keep seeking. If we lean into our calling, then we're allowing God to work and God to move. I remember I was 12 years old. I was at a conference in Texas. Uh, it, it, was, it was crazy. I think it was Thursday night, Thursday night of that conference. And the pastor preached a message and the Holy Spirit fell on me and called me to preach. I just remember losing control, bawling my eyes out and walking the aisle all the way to the front, hitting my knees and just telling the Lord, I'm surrendering to be in the ministry. Whatever it looks like, I don't know. If it's a pastor, if it's a youth pastor, if it's a missionary, I'm willing, Lord. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord called me in the ministry at 12 years old during that service and I remember it like it was yesterday. It's a calling. That, that calling, I go back to that calling often. Look, when, when it's hard, when it's difficult, anybody ever feel like quitting anything? Yeah. Sometimes the church leadership feels like quitting. Sometimes pastors feel like quitting, but there has to be a calling. And that's what I go back to. And you know what? If we can lean into that, if we can lean into that calling in our perspective, it would allow us accountability because I'm, what I'm not saying is that pastors shouldn't be accountable. Pastors, pastors should be accountable. And I think that there's an unhealthy side of this that we have experienced. Do you know what I mean? Like pastors that are the MOG, the man of God, and he does whatever he wants to do and says whatever he wants to say, and there's no plurality in that leadership. That's abusing a calling, yes? Yeah, it can happen. But the truth is, is that if the Lord's calling, Paul says, listen, why don't you drop your walls? Why don't, why don't you lower your expectations of the person and have the expectation that the Lord called the right person and he's gonna perform his work? Do you understand the difference? That's a wonderful, incredible, liberating thing that I'm seeing here. Here's the fourth thing that Paul says in observation to church leadership. He says this, Paul shows that he is in alignment with Apollos when he knows that the church clearly was using different style leaders to create factions. Now, I know that I've already kind of alluded and stated this in the beginning part of the message, but do you remember how they said some were of Apollos, some were of Cephas, some were of Christ? Do you remember that from the beginning of the book? And what Paul does here is he immediately squashes that by saying, hey, guess what? Me and Apollos, we're chill. Me and Apollos, we had a conversation about him coming to you. Me and Apollos, we're on the same page with what we're looking to see accomplished in the gospel. What does this mean? It means that don't be drawn to certain leaders and putting yourself against other leaders. The leaders should be on the same page. The leaders should be a unit. There should be plurality and, and all the leaders should lean into that plurality, and so should you. Don't say you're of one, or I, this is just kinda, and look, th these are practical things that I've seen in every church. 
you know, that, that guy, that's my guy. And then when he preaches, guess what? I'll be there. And then when he's not preaching, guess what? I'm not gonna be there. And then we foster new leaders and it's like, you're, you're just gonna have to go through the six months of turmoil till, till, you know, till they eventually let you in. Why do we do that? <laughs> they did it back then. Paul's clearly saying, hey, there's a mission here. It's not about any one person, it's about unity. It's not about any one leader, it's about us accomplishing a goal. You think you got the corner on Apollos, me and Apollos are not participating in your reindeer games. Do you see that's what he's saying? It's interesting, isn't it? Go to verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. I just find those things very helpful when it comes to church leadership. Verse 13, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in what? In love, for the two of you that are reading it, amen, God bless. Do everything in love, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people. This is so good, this just took a nasty turn for the folks that are all about themselves. You ready for it? I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus present, present because these men have made up for your absence. Ooh. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, what does it say? Recognize such people. And the message takes a turn takes a turn. What happened? Well, we'll see what happened. Well, what, what had happened was, in the beginning of this book, I was like, yeah, Apollos is my guy. Paul is my guy. Peter is my guy. Jesus is my guy. And, and you have some of them saying, well, I can speak in tongues. I can prophesy. They've got all these different factions, all these different groups. Paul's circling the wagons. He's bringing all of the letters content to fruition. And how does he do it? I love this. He says, me and Apollos and Peter and all these, we're good, we, we're on the same page, but let me, let me tell you about this guy Stephanus or Stephanus or Stephanus. I don't know how you want to say it, but let me tell you about this guy. This guy, he is the man. His household is crushing it. Why? Oh, do tell. Is it because he's really good at rhetoric? Remember they, they were like, they were obsessing over who could speak, who could articulate, who could tell the best joke. Who's this guy? He literally got named. Can you imagine getting name dropped in the Bible? One of the most circulated, if not the most circulated book of all time. Name dropped right there. Stephanus, can you imagine? That's like literally New York Times with your name. Dan Myers right there, New York Times, front page, name dropped. You'd be like, what did I do? <laughs> Like literally, it's, it's, it's the front page, if you will. Literally, this whole letter uh, cum culminates really to this time where he says, in Stephanus and his household, they're incredible. What did they do? They were really good at serving others. You see, when, when this church was obsessed with who could preach, who could teach, who was gifted, Paul is using this as an illustration. He's using this as a powerful message to, be, to say this to them. What you should be obsessed with 
is those who you don't even know their name, but they're serving others. Way to circle the wagons. Way to bring to life the one person that we need to know. Do you know this guy? You probably don't. He's probably not on the stage, but he's serving you. He's the reason why you're hearing the gospel. He's the reason why this ministry continues, because he's faithful. His household is faithful, and he just keeps going one after the other, day after day, month after month, and that's whose name I want to put in the text. Me and Apollos, we're good. Have you heard about this guy? Man. Why did he get recognized? Because he was a servant. Because he was a servant, that is who is greatest of all. Listen, here's how, we, here's how we end this thing. Paul gives four admonitions to them. Four admonitions, really four words that I see here at the end that I think will help all of us walk out with what we need from this book. Are you ready? Here's what he says. Look at verse number 13 again. Look at right there. It says, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and then what? Be strong. I looked up those, those words. Number one, stay awake. <laughs> this was a challenge for many of you this morning. I don't know why. <laughs> stay awake. Number one. When it says stay alert, be alert in the text, he means awake. How many remember a season in your life where you just had trouble Staying awake at the stoplight. Anybody? Man, I remember back to, to college. Oh my goodness gracious. I would be like just calling my wife, fiance, girlfriend, whatever at the time. Just be like, she was all those things. I didn't mean all the other ones, but I phrased that really poorly. I just remember calling, talking to her, just be like, hey, keep me awake. You know, I mean, just like. You're going to school, then you're going to work, you're getting home at two, three o'clock in the morning, you're getting up at 5.30 to write the paper that's due the same day, you know what I mean? And I just remember leaving the job site some, some mornings early in the morning and just waking up in the parking lot at school going, how did I get here? I don't remember that drive at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, has anybody been there? You're just like in total autopilot and, and security for the college campus. Rapping on my window about every other day, Matt, it's time to go to bed. Come on. Like, I'm just like, I'd get there and I'd conk out. <laughs> just be asleep. That, that's what alert, that's the term here, the Greek term that he's trying to say. He's saying, don't sleep on what the Lord's doing. Don't sleep on it. Don't fall asleep. And, and this goes back to the leadership thing about creating space. Don't fill up your entire schedule. Don't use all your energy up for all the things you want to do, and you don't have anything left for the Lord. Stay awake. Some of y'all are sleeping at the wheel as it pertains to your children and raising your children. Let me tell you who's not sleeping on it, the devil. Let, let me tell you, the enemy is not sleeping. He, he doesn't slumber. He's around every corner. He's, he's waiting for you to have that hole in your parenting or that hole in your relationship. You say, I'm tired. I'm weary. It doesn't matter the enemy ain't sleeping. You say, I don't know if I have enough to parent or to, to lead them to Jesus like I should. You better get another gear. You better figure it out. You better go back to the drawing board. Why? Because the enemy will take Every one of your kids, you better stay awake. 
Some of y'all are sleeping at the wheel in your relationship with the Lord. You have literally taken your marriage for granted. You've taken your church for granted. And you're here in this place, but you're not here. I'm telling you. We get to this place, Paul says, I'm, I'm leading the church the way that I should. I'm caring for things the way that I should. You're not. You need to wake up. That's what he's saying. Church, we can't sleep on it. What if the Lord were to come back today? How, would he find you faithful? Or, or like his disciples, would he find you out? Come pray with me. Don't sleep on it. Don't sleep on it. Find another gear. Stop doing. Saying, Sarah and I, we, we say this often in our marriage and our relationship. Saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else. Say, say it with me. Saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else. If you're sleeping on God, it's because you were awake for something else. If, if you don't get nothing else out of the message, take that home with you. If you're sleeping on God, you were awake for something else. Stay alert. Be alert. What is he saying? Wake up. Be present. Get in this moment. Your coworker is on their way to hell. They're going to split hell wide open, and you've got the glorious news. You have the best news on the, on the planet. It's called the good news for a reason. I got the good news, and I ain't telling nobody. <laughs> Nobody's going to know. No one will know. You literally have life-saving abilities, and you're sleeping on it. What the heck is wrong with us? You know what I'm saying. Be alert. I'm not going to let the devil be more awake than I am. He raised me up to new life, resurrected my God-forsaken body, pulled me out of my sins, set my feet on the rock, established my goings, and I'm going to fall asleep on him? It just doesn't make sense, church. Let's wake up. Number one, stay awake. Number two, I find this interesting. The word there in verse number 13, he says, stand firm in the faith. It's positional. And firm is not just about location in the faith. It's talking about a physical location. He's telling a specific church in a specific location to stay in that location. Stay awake, number one. Number two, stay put. Number two, stay put. Y'all need this for during the preaching time, too. Stay put. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously. Firm, a firm location. Here, The Greek word carries the connotation of a geographical location. What are you saying? Here, here's, in a generation that's like, they just don't stand still. I, I, and I'm not, you know, don't think I'm coming at anybody. I'm coming at everybody. <laughs> like, we're, we will leave at the drop of a hat. We'll run. A relationship gets hard and we're ready to bail. A job gets hard, and we're going to just go find a new job. They're going to give me half a penny more over there. The grass is probably greener. Watch me walk. Paul is saying, as it pertains to a location of, of he's writing to the church at what? It's a specific location. <laughs> and he's saying, I want you to stay in that what? Location. He's saying stay put. Number one, stay awake. Number two, stay put. I need you in your faith community there. 
bloom where you're what? Planted. That's it. Paul is saying, look, stay awake. Number two, stay put. Don't run just because it gets hard. Look, the sermon's horrible this week, but maybe next week it'll be a little better. Okay? Stay put. Hang in there. Look, we are a unit. We need each other. This location is us. It's ours. It's here. I'm just going to go there. Paul's like, no, 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 no. Stay put. It's still a message of unity. These are great principles. These are phenomenal principles. Like, literally, show your children a track record. Show your children stability. Show your children that you stay when things get hard. This is the opposite of our culture today, isn't it? I just have to do me. It's, it's, my mental health matters. And it does. But you know what I mean. We can't use that as an excuse to not do what's hard. Doing what's hard produces growth. Resistance plus that faithfulness will produce a new gear for you spiritually like you've never thought. Number one, stay awake. Number two, stay put. Number three, and I think this is interesting. Look at the verse. It says, verse 13, be alert, stand firm in the faith. Be, what does it say? What's the word? Courageous. Be courageous. Here is, here is the word that the Greek lends itself to. Focused. In that word courageous, it means to be focused on something and not be pulled away from it. What, what is that? What are the connotations there? All of this language is saying the same thing like the next degree of strength. Paul is saying, wake up where you are. Stay there and be what? Focused. It takes courage to go face the same challenge at work the next day. It takes courage to be focused. Listen, we live in a world of distraction. If you don't want to be focused on it right now, just pick up, pick up your phone. I don't, want to, I don't want to see it. Whatever direction you scroll, I don't know. This is a lack of focus. Just a lack of focus. What, what does the Lord have for you? I don't know. I know what he's got for them and for them and for them. How did they get that? I mean, you think I'm playing. We are so distracted. It takes courage to be focused. Young people, it takes courage to be focused on what the Lord has for you and to not drift into that negative land of comparison. As soon as you lift your eyes and focus on, look, social media would love to tell you every person that's better than you. They'd love to. Why? Because it'll keep you coming back. It'll keep you engaged. It'll keep you scrolling. It'll keep you wishing. Oh, if I could just have. But it takes courage to say, this is what I have to do today. This is what the Lord has called me to do. This is just, this is crushing this generation. It's killing them. But they're better than me. Okay, well maybe if you would focus on what the Lord has for you, you would get better at that too. 
Maybe if you would better your schedule. Listen, I, this is like maybe pet peeve. This probably is not more parenting than anything, but like <laughs> we need to reevaluate what we care about as far as what our children are good at. I've never regretted learning a trade, ever. Do you understand what I'm saying? Focus at a young age. What does this have to do with, with the message? It has everything to do with it, really. We prioritize, we prioritize things in our children's lives because we want to see them succeed at it. Instead of saying, what would benefit them? If I could help them and position their focus on this thing, this is something that's gonna yield a return. I'm thankful for parents that when I was 16 years old, they put me to work with a guy in the church that knew how to do hardwood floors. At 16, I'm, ex I'm extremely thankful. At 12, hanging cabinets. Look, this, this, there's a dearth for people who know how to do things. Is there not? Why? Because this is, every, this is what everybody wants to do. And the same thing applies spiritually. As soon as it gets hard, as soon as it, I'm just not a reader. <laughs> I'm just not. It's a, it's a crime shame the Lord put his letter to you and himself in word form, but you're just not a reader. That's a real problem, isn't it? Excuse me, speaker. I'm just trying to get us focused. Focused on things that really matter in a world of destruction. Stay awake, stay awake, stay put, stay focused. And here's the last one. I mean, this is literally what he says right there in the text. Stay strong, stay strong. Look, if the Lord does something in your heart and tells you it's the right decision, don't, here's an oldie but goodie, don't undo in doubt a decision made in faith. Don't undo in doubt a decision made in faith. Be strong, be strong, be courageous in it. But, but, but what are, what's my family gonna think? What are my friends gonna think? If I did something radical, if I chose a different path for my children, if, if I do something, if I like, choose a different career based on the gospel and, and how the Lord could do and work in my life in a different way, what are they gonna think? Who cares, be strong, be strong. If the Lord's called you to do something, guess what you should do? That. Do it. Be strong. I think it goes without saying, after I've stepped on every toe in the room today, that we're strong in all the wrong areas. We're consumed about all the wrong things. And listen, y'all know that before I ever got to this message to, to preach it to you, I preached it to me. <laughs> I sat in that office and was like, whoa, you're right, Lord. It's all about focus and perspective. What, what do you think, let me ask you this question as we're shutting it down and as we're circling the wagons, what do you think courage looks like? Listen to me, church, let's be real. What do you think courage looks like? I'm about to flip the script on you real quick. Well, I just think they should have said something. Sometimes courage is not saying it. Sometimes courage is enduring what the Lord has called you to endure and not saying. You're reading a gospel from all of these guys that were literally killed for their faith. 
They were literally martyred. But yet we can't go through any hard time. But yet we can't go through the persecution that we endure. Church, we gotta reevaluate what courage looks like. What being focused on the right thing looks like. We've taken enough from mainstream. Let's rethink what good looks like in our children, what good looks like in our lives, what good looks like in our workplace, what good looks like in your marriage. Let's let the Lord define it. Some of y'all got some recalibrating to do. Sarah and I, we were talking this week, like we're constantly thinking and trying to align ourselves with what the Lord has for us even more so. Remember this, as we calibrate, fear, shame, and guilt are all tools of the enemy. They're all things that he uses to position you in a place where you're not standing firm, where you should be standing, where you're not focused and strong. This morning, let's realize this. The Lord hath not given you the spirit of fear, but of what? And love, and of a sound mind. Oh, fancy that word love is used. How does Paul close this out? Verse number 23, the grace of the Lord be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Why? Because verse, verse 22, he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him, O Lord, come. Paul says, listen, all of these things, you being awake and focused and, and where the Lord has you and staying strong, all of that should be done in love. Well, what kind of love? The love that the Lord has for you and that, the Lord, and that you should have for the Lord. Paul gives a final exhortation for us to love the Lord. Let me say this to you. We are not able to love others without loving and being loved by the source of all love. It is most important for you to love God. It is most important. That sounds so cliche. Oh yeah, pastor, just love the Lord. No, no, no. I mean it, I mean it. Let's all take a, a moment this morning and center our hearts and say, when, when was the last time you told the Lord that you love him? When was the last time you said, Lord, I'm yours? We don't know where we are positionally. I, I'm sure I'm speaking for the collective whole here. Sometimes do you feel lost? Sometimes do you feel lost in the sauce? Sometimes do you feel like you don't know where your position is? Sometimes do you feel like you can't be courageous or focused on anything because you just don't know where to go or where to wake up? Here's how we hit the reset button. Paul says, here's, here's where it all starts. Love God. If we stop right now in this moment and we tell the Lord, Lord, I love you. Guess what? Draw nigh to God and he will what? Draw nigh to you. Being loved and fully known by our God is the most incredible feeling any person can have on this planet. And Paul knows that. If you want, how many desire to do the Lord's will for their lives? Does anybody desire that? I know I do. Let's go back to the drawing board this morning and tell the Lord how much we love him. Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at Bethlehemchurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.